Do what thou wilt shall be the whole of the law. This is David Shoemaker, and I'd like to welcome you to Living Thelema. Now, this is a bit of a special episode. It consists of an introductory talk I gave to the Rite of Saturn, which was produced by uh, Elusive Productions in Seattle in September of 2018. This was the seventh and final of the planetary rites that they'd been producing for many years, and uh, I was really honored and pleased to be able to give an introductory talk. So uh, I won't give any further introductory comments because the talk is pretty self-contained, but uh, I hope you enjoy it, and thank you for listening. Thank you so much for being here tonight. Um, I want to thank, from the depths of my heart, Elusive Productions for not only inviting me here tonight, which is a great honor, but also for their uh, groundbreaking, historic, amazing work over the past, what did you say, 17 years? So how about one more round for their amazing work? So Saturn, dark indeed, heavy indeed, but uh, my major theme tonight is going to be to talk to you not only about the basic symbolism, mythology, astrology, Kabbalah. I'm going to introduce you to those background symbol sets, but my main theme is about when you feel heavy, when you feel restricted, when you feel weighed down by a Saturnian kind of force in your life, what do you do about it? How do you learn from it? And since my whole life's work is pretty practical in nature, I like to help people walk out of the room with a tool they didn't walk into the room with. I'm not going to be able to resist uh, doing that tonight and to give you some suggestions that you might be able to employ in your own life, but also to give you some of the background theory behind it and hopefully entertain you in the process. So the planet Saturn, mythologically, is viewed as the bringer of form and structure 
and it's the teacher of life lessons. You may have heard the astro astrological term, a Saturn return, which is when Saturn comes around in roughly 29 and a half year cycles to come back to where it was when you were born. And you'll hear astrologers talk a lot about the impact of that as a major time of restructuring and learning lessons. And if something's out of whack in your life in, a, in an inner or outer sense, Saturn will come back around and knock it right back in, often in an uncomfortable way, as we've many of us have found uh, who watch these things. Um, so Saturn is this mixed bag of intense, restrictive... Uh, enforcement of form and uh, severity in one's life, but that absolutely doesn't have to be a quote-unquote bad thing if you approach it mindfully and if you um, look for the lesson that is in there for you. You've all heard the phrase, um, thinking outside the box for those times when to get past a creative impasse or some other obstacle in life, the, the solution seems to be, wait, I'm limiting myself with these, this way I'm thinking about the situation. I need to get outside that box. Well, this is just the opposite, and that's why I've called this talk Thinking Inside the Box, because there is something unique to be learned from not breaking out of the restrictions, from accepting the restrictions, and, in fact, forcing yourself to learn within those restrictions. And therefore, thinking inside the box is one of the tools I'm going to try to help you with tonight. So, but let's back up from that uh, practical aspect and talk about the Saturn historically, mythologically, and so on. So, Saturn was a titan. Um, Saturn was the Roman Romanized name of Kronos in the original Greek mythology. The titans were the parents of the gods. Now, you know you've got a, an old creation story when you don't only have creative gods, you have the parents of the creative gods. They probably had grandparents that we just haven't discovered yet, but uh, they really wanted a long history in their backstory, I guess. So we had the Titans who gave birth to the gods and were these sort of uber old uh, uh, divine figures. And Kronos is an important, you've heard that name, I'm sure, referring to time. Kronos is an important figure in that sense as well, Kronos as Saturn, because one of the ways that life restricts us is in the apparent enforcement of a timeline on our existence. We live in a finite world, we die, uh, we only have a certain amount of time to accomplish the tasks we want to in life, and therefore, Saturn as a restrictive, you know, form-imposing force makes sense that time would be one of its manifestations, right? I have to live within the restriction of time. So as I talk about each of these themes tonight, you might want to just plant a seed in your brain to watch for how they show up in the production. Not everything will be spelled out as, you know, plainly as I'm talking about it. This is, after all, art. But um, I think you'll see a, a number of these themes pretty evident, especially just the tone of a lot of what I'm saying. So we have Saturn as Kronos, the father time, so to speak. Um, on the tree of life in the Kabbalah, Saturn 
shows up a couple places. One is the third sphere called Bina, and the symbolical um, nature of that is like the great mother, the great sea, uh, the mother of heaven, and that's a term you may find showing up tonight. Um, whether it's in Latin or English, you'll have to decide for yourselves. And um, this idea of the great mother, the womb of all creation, uh, that gives form to force. So we've talked about giving form as a restrictive uh, power of Saturn. And think about this for a second. If you... If you have an impulse to do something, and you know you want to kind of aim it this way, you've got force, but you don't have any context. If you know a fact, you've got force, the force of knowledge, but you don't have a context for it, an application of it. So what Binah and Saturn in this context does is it gives context, gives meaning to life, just as time and the limitations of time give meaning to what you do with your life. There is sadness in the passage of time. You lose people, you lose strength, you eventually die. But there's also an inescapable context that would not be there if it weren't for that limitation. So Binah and Saturn can be heavy, can be intense, can restrict us, but gives us a context for everything we do. That's the womb of life. In, in this sense. You know, the, the, on the Tree of Life, again, Kabbalah, the, the force that is termed wisdom is the sphere of Chokmah. And Binah is termed understanding. One of the interesting things about this is the way that those terms interplay in, in terms of what we've been talking about, where if you have knowledge of a fact, you, ha you may have that wisdom but it's meaningless unless given a context. That's the understanding. So in case you've wondered about those terms, uh, Kabbalistically speaking. Another really important symbol that shows up with Binah quite a bit is the grail. The great grail, the archetypal grail. In Thelemic cosmology, this is often termed as the cup of Babylon. And many of you may know the sort of the archetypal symbol context of that. But a grail is a receptacle that gives form, right? Any cup gives form. So one additional way of getting, as a, as a pretty core symbol, what Saturn does as a form-giving principle is, let's say you've got this liquid with no form. The cup you put it in is restrictive in the sense that it can't flow anywhere, and it forces it to be the shape of the cup. But that, that's pretty handy sometimes, right? You know, sometimes if you try to lick water off the floor, it doesn't work as well as if you have a cup. So if you don't believe me, demonstrate it to yourselves later. But uh, depending on how much of the wine you've had from the concessions, that may, that may happen. Um, but the cup is restrictive in the sense that it forces the liquid to be a certain shape, much as life and its containments and restrictions forces us to, you know, to have our mind and body and energies 
into a certain shape that we can't escape from, but that we need to operate. Okay, so in this context of the grail, we also have the idea of this holy place, this temple, that is above what is called the abyss in the Thelemic uh, uh, Kabbalah terminology. And this is a, a place of transpersonal consciousness, a place where we have uh, moved beyond the restrictions of individual ego, individual personality, and we are operating at a, at a more archetypal level. We are living from the place that is deeper than and older than and truer than anything we live out in our personal lives. So when you see on stage actions and themes and stories happening in this temple, I want you to think about how what's being played out there is almost above any everyday human activity. It's something that is beyond your everyday awareness, beyond the limitations of your everyday personality. It's referred to as the fortress on the frontier of the abyss during the show. Accordingly, the crossing of the abyss, the attainment of this cosmic consciousness, this transpersonal um, awareness, is the domain of the individual or uh, attained person in the system known as a master of the temple, Magister Templi. So you'll see that character show up in the story tonight. Someone who has moved to the stage of immersion in the, in the infinite. Sort of a cosmic consciousness idea. Here's more cool stuff about Binah. Geometry. I've said that there are three spheres. I haven't said that yet, actually. There are, we have three spheres above the abyss in Kabbalah, and I've talked about two of them, Chokmah and Binah. The first is Kether, the emanation point of all manifestation. So geometry-wise, we have a point. That's the first sphere. The second sphere, Chokmah, what happens when you connect two points? You get a line. So the concept of force expressed geometrically is the line. That brings us to Chokmah. What do you do once you have a line? You don't have any form. You just have a direction. So you need context, as we've been saying. And sure enough, the sphere of Binah, which we're dealing with tonight, Saturn, is the third point that, what does the third point allow you to make geometrically? A triangle. It's the simplest two-dimensional form, and it requires three things, three points. So that's why you get so much symbolism in many world religions of a trinity that is a primal archetypal uh, necessity for all of manifestation, and that definitely happens in Kabbalah. So I wanted to point out that even geometrically and sort of philosophically, Saturn, Binah, as the third sphere on the tree of life, actually represents what it is. The triangle is the form that can be made by three points. And the symbolism of the sphere of Binah is all about that. I think that's cool. So did Crowley when he wrote about it. Astrologically, um, Saturn, 
Saturn rules Aquarius by day and Capricorn by night. Watch four characters by those names. Uh, in terms of chakra system, Saturn is the Muladhara chakra, which is at the root of the spine and represents survival mechanisms. Um, and more on that later. <laughs> what I mean is, eventually I'm going to talk to you about how a lot of what happens tonight is about one or another method, successful or not, of trying to survive. What do we do when we're trying to survive? Other symbols that correspond to Saturn that you may see. The opium poppy, the metal lead, um, the color black, the incense of myrrh, uh, the mystic yoni, which with the mystic lingam in um, tantric philosophy is the idea of the cosmic sexual act of creation, the yoni being the cosmic vagina symbol and lingam being the, the penis. Uh, the magical power, so-called, of, of Binah is the vision of sorrow or the vision of wonder. And those two things going together is not accidental, because you can see how I've been talking about things tonight in terms of how you can have a sense of wonder coming out of sorrow, a sense of wonder that could only be there if you've experienced the sorrow. Context. Now, that's mythology. Let's talk about some interesting, hopefully, interesting theory behind this. Theory that bleeds into practice. And then I'll do my therapist thing and give you tools. Um, if you know the musician Brian Eno, he talks a lot about the value of limitations in the creative process. So let's take a, a clue from Eno and recognize that if we purposely restrict ourselves, we can unleash a certain brand of creativity, of novel thinking that would not have otherwise been there. Um, here's an example. I'm going to write a poem. I could just write any words in any order, any place on the page. That happens. We've seen that. Uh, or I could say, this has to be 10 lines, and it has to be iambic pentameter. That restriction unleashes a certain form of creativity that forces us to think in a special way inside the box and make a poem that might be beautiful in a way it wouldn't have been if we hadn't had the restriction. The musician has to work with the limitations of the instrument. I can't play guitar by blowing on the strings very well, but I can play a flute pretty well that way. But actually, I can't play a flute at all very well. But. <laughs> Uh, theoretically, one could play the flute by blowing into it. And um, you see that the, the limitations of the instrument actually make the instrument what it is. They give it the context of itself. In art, physical, uh, you know, visual art, the limitations of the color palette or the medium. So restriction isn't bad. Restriction is the thing that very often, to use a cliche, is the mother of invention or the mother of creation. Now, another thing that Saturn deals with is concentration. Because in order to concentrate on something, you restrict your focus. Uh, 
in order to get anything done in life, you have to maintain focus on that thing long enough to do it. Uh, theoretically, maintaining focus on any desired action long enough necessitates that goal actually happening. But you have to be pretty patient for that with some goals. Um, but sustaining attention on an act is essentially meditation. It's essentially um, what we would, what I would see as a Saturnian power, Saturnian process of narrowing our focus, restricting our focus in order to get something accomplished. That might be a stilling of the mind, as in classical meditation, or it might be that that uh, is a creative process where we restrict ourselves to, no, I'm going to sit down for two hours every day and work on this book or work on this painting. And in that restriction and sustained uh, focus, it, it enables us to do the creative work. In a more simple everyday example, if I want to pick up and drink a glass of water, some part of my brain has to stay focused on that long enough to reach out, grab it, drink it. And if I lose that focus, um, I'm just kind of sitting there holding it, which isn't as refreshing. Okay, so let's move on to some practical implications and the uh, threatened tools. So um, how do we as humans respond to restriction as we conventionally perceive it? How do we deal with Saturn um, in adaptive or maladaptive ways when we're struggling? Well, often it's, again, at the personality level, it's sadness, heaviness, frustration, stagnation. We don't want to be limited, most of us. doesn't feel very good to that basic ego personality. Um, so what do we do when we feel that way, restricted, trapped? We try to escape somehow. That might be just, screw this, I'm giving up. That might be, as you may or may not witness during the presentation tonight, addiction, um, a desire to numb the pain of restriction and lessons by just zoning out. It may be that when you are vulnerable and scared and trapped and Saturn is bearing down on you like something awful, you reach out to the wrong kinds of friends or the wrong kinds of groupthink. Watch for that tonight. It may be that when you are hopeless and stuck and frustrated and Saturn's coming down hard, you are a trapped animal and you lash out in aggression and try to kill whatever seems like it's in your way. Watch for that tonight. It's almost like I watched the uh, show last night and was given insights into the staging and the way it would happen. Um, no, you're going to love it. It's exciting. So um, here's more practical stuff. Time management, so to speak. We usually talk about time management in terms of how do I get this stuff done by next week when the boss wants it. But let's talk about that in a more cosmic sense. We talked about chronos, which is conventional chronological time, hence the name. And yet there is another kind of time in Greek language and philosophy, and it's called keros. And that is sacred time. 
And sacred time is, let me put it this way, when's the right time to propose to your beloved? Is it 607? No, wait, it's 608. You should definitely propose at 608, because that's the right time. You don't know. There is no right chronological time. But there's a right sacred time, that moment when you're like there in the spiritual connection and you know it's the right time. Likewise, uh, a creative process. If you were writing a song, do you say, I, I just know that at 815 tonight, that's going to be the time for me to sit down. I'm going to get that verse and those lyrics. That's It's going to happen then. You know, <laughs> that'd be nice, kind of. But... Um, no, it doesn't work that way. You just have to follow the creative impulse. And that, what I would term a spiritual aspect of self, the spiritual creative act, is always in tune with real time, real sacred time, kairos. So sometimes when chronos is coming down hard on you, injecting a little kairos into it can be a relief, um, while that may actually be breaking outside the box a little bit if you do that. We'll cheat on that one. Robert Johnson is a Jungian analyst, and uh, I think he's dead now, but uh, he, he, his, his practice isn't as full uh, at this point, but he, uh, <laughs> he was a good one. And he, uh, he wrote some, some great books, uh, easy to digest books on Jungian dream work and all kinds of cool stuff. But one of the things he likes to talk about is how do we find creativity and spirituality in life? And he talks about paradox. And I think paradox has a relationship to Saturn and restriction, as we're talking about it tonight, in the sense that uh, it's confusion. If we don't know what the right choice is, is it left or right? They both look terrible. I can't decide. Some other part of us has to get activated. And um, that may create some novel creative thinking. So you feel Saturn bearing down on you. Try to embrace the paradox, embrace the stuckness, work the process of feeling stagnant and frustrated, and trust that it will bring you across the threshold to some new awareness if you keep your attention focused on it. Don't be afraid of not knowing stuff. Did we ever learn anything from the known? I don't think so. I think we only learn from the unknown. Back to Eno for a second. If you get a chance to pick up or look online at his oblique strategies cards, I highly recommend these. What he did with this was, in, in keeping with his thesis that restriction and limitation brings creativity, he created a set of cards, each of which has one command on it. And they wouldn't just pull these out willy-nilly in the studio. If they got to a stuck place, a song wasn't going anywhere, um, they would draw a card and make themselves do whatever it said, imposing a restriction, sort of a randomized restriction. So let me give you some examples. And imagine yourself in whatever you do in your life, creative or otherwise, imagine yourself in a really stuck and frustrated place wouldn't it be nice to just draw one of these cards and have to do what it says, trusting that at least it was going to present a certain box that you could live within and try to 
try to gain some insight from. So try these on. Ask people to work against their better judgment. Isn't that nice? Um, use unqualified people. He did a whole uh, song with this orchestra he, he found in southern England that was purposely composed of people who could not play their instruments. <laughs> you can listen to it on his Taking Tiger Mountain by Strategy album on that track that has, uh, you won't miss it. It's, it's an orchestra that sounds like people who can't play their instruments. <laughs> what, it makes the song. It makes the song. Here's another one. Only one element of each kind. You can see yourself applying that in different areas of life, not knowing what to do. Okay, one of each. They have to do it. Finally, and this is my favorite, I think, <laughs> you're stuck. Make a sudden, destructive, unpredictable action. Incorporate. So shatter the glass and then use the sound of the glass shattering or um, you know, make a loud and annoying noise and then force yourself to make it the centerpiece of your, of your song, continuing with the musical themes. But on to a couple final serious points. It's Saturn, so we have to end on serious points, I think. Most of all, I hope that if you haven't already, you will commit to some sort of practice of mindfulness or meditation. Because the training of the mental muscles, and I would even argue spiritual muscles, of holding our attention on whatever it is, stills us, gets us out of the everyday noise of the human mind in our crazy society, and allows a voice to speak within us that is usually drowned out by all the, the noise. Uh, and so in holding ourselves in that restrictive, limiting way to a practice, we strengthen our freedom to act as we will and attain the goals we set for ourselves. If we don't have the muscles of focused attention, it's hard to attain anything. And finally, practice radical acceptance of all reality. Because you have two choices. Accept what is happening to you, or don't accept what is happening to you. You'll notice it's still happening to you. <laughs> and therefore, best work with it. Um, think of it this way. If you want to get from, if you want to get to point B, and you don't like where you are on the map, you want to get to the cabin that you're going to stay in in the woods, but you don't like the path you're on, and you refuse to admit you're there, you're not getting to that cabin. If you're on the highway trying to get to the rest stop, and it says you're on Highway 63, but you're insisting you're on Highway 64, you're not going to get to the rest stop. You have to accept that as unlikable, untenable, uh, oppressive, nasty, gross as your present day reality is, the starting place to making it better is accepting 100% of the experience being offered to you 
Otherwise, you're not even looking at the map. In Thelemic terminology, we would call this worship of Nuit, the goddess of all omnipresent realities. By accepting everything presented to us, we also accept the pathway forward and find the pathway forward. So perhaps the ultimate example of living inside the box, accept all and work with it, because that's the way to attain. And with that, I'd like to thank you for your attention, and uh, I hope you really enjoy this program, which was uh, entertaining, fascinating, and beautifully done when I watched it last night. So uh, thank you for being here.